Hi, I'm Anayat Kanji and welcome to this month's episode of Love Will Beat Hate, the podcast. This month's theme is New Year, New Me, and basically in which we are looking at people who have transformed themselves and achieved the potential that others may have not foreseen or rather would not have expected of them. And this month we have Roxanne Emery on the show for that purpose. Now Roxanne basically, her story is one which I can definitely relate to in that she is a year sober. So she used to be somebody who suffered from alcoholism and addiction Um, but she is a year sober which is amazing within itself but not only that she is also an up-and-coming musician in fact what what am I talking about she is also a writer a singer songwriter who has written a song you might have heard Post Malone Sam Felt Varney amazing stuff but look let's introduce her to the show Roxanne Emery, or should I call you Rory? Uh, thank you very much for joining us on Love Will Beat Hate, the no podcast. Problem. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, you can call me whatever you like. Okay, well, as long I, as it's polite, within okay, reason. Okay, within say. reason. I was going to say, um, uh, yeah, because when I've said that to people, people call me all sorts of stuff. But um, yeah, um, should we go with Roxanne? I, I'm, there I'm, you yeah, go. Let's comfortable. go with Roxanne. Okay, well, yeah. thank you, Roxanne, for joining us. Um, as I say, uh, your story is one which I definitely relate to. Um, because somebody uh, who has suffered from addiction myself um, and all that goes with it in terms of the mental health side of that being anxiety, depression um, and everything other, um, codependency, I know we've been talking off uh, camera already, um, you know, all the, all the different kind of cross-addictive behaviours you can have or different uh, dispositions uh, one might find themselves in. Um, so yeah, and beyond that, being an artist as well um, to boot with that, which is really interesting because when I was doing my research on you, I didn't realise that artists or musicians were more susceptible it seems uh, to this uh, condition or this affliction if you like or illness um, however you want to define it um, so it's, it's yeah it's something that was quite uh, enlightening in a way um, to realize um, and in a way uh, I suppose a little bit liberating or, or I don't know a bit of relief was there um, knowing that I'm not that strange then uh, or dissimilar from others um, because as I say yeah it's something which I've always wondered is that the case but as I say your journey you're a year sober that's amazing well done to you that's thank phenomenal. you very much um, it's, yeah. it's almost 15 months now wow actually, from, from drugs and alcohol wow, wow other wow. things I continue to work on in the long battle of self self-healing but yes 15 months and that's something I never ever thought I would say in fact one of my life mottos was never trust somebody that doesn't drink (laughs) I used to say that all the time and then here I am so (laughs) who's had the last laugh now but thank you very much it feels very good to sit here well as I say I I think uh, many people are going to benefit from uh, your story because uh, already I can see that you're a beacon of inspiration uh, because yeah um, like like we said um, you know talking off uh, off camera you know uh, yeah, it's, it's so difficult uh, to recognise within ourselves uh, our flaws, I suppose, and address them so honestly, um, which I think is something, if there is any silver lining, uh, you know, addiction and recovery can, can bring for us. Um, so, uh, so yes, yeah, so I'm really interested to hear your story, but I suppose we should go back to the beginning then. Um, you know, uh, being a musician, I know we talked uh, that you were having piano lessons at 12 and writing songs already um and i mentioned already one of your major successes but um i suppose it wasn't always uh you know so um i suppose happy and amazing uh if if it all started quite young for you because i know it did for me um because trauma often is at the root of much of our addictions and is uh 
I suppose uh, the addiction is only symptomatic of what we really and truly go through uh, internally. Um, so I suppose, as I say, let's start with what start happened. The beginning. What yeah, happened to you? What happened to you? Why are you so messed up? <laughs> no, not well, then, I'll just get my book out. <laughs> Have you got five hours? Oh, good. Um, yeah. So do you mean kind of back to the beginning of music journey or back to the beginning of Just, addiction journey? Yeah, both, I suppose. As I say, like, you know, um, did, did they go hand in hand or um, uh, is it something that you uh, found music thereafter? Or, addiction, uh, you know? addiction definitely came first. Um, as a child, I remember just being, I guess, a fantasy addict, like living in a different world all the time. Yeah, I can um, binge that. eating on sweets, yeah, shoplifting. Yeah. Um, all these things that happen. <laughs> yeah, so much glee. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. all those things that, you know, they they I can now understand them as kind of warning signs, why, coping mechanisms. Why do you think um you were uh, doing all those kind of behaviors so young? It's a very very difficult question to answer and one I spend a lot of time thinking about. I would never ever want to put the blame onto my parents, I think they did the, the best job that they could. Um, my mum is no longer with us, but my dad Sorry is. Thank you. And I've worked very, very hard to rebuild the the relationship with my dad. So we're in a really, really wonderful place. But I guess just some people find life a little harder, right. uh, feel things a little more deeply and right. then find coping mechanisms. And that was certainly me. Mm. Um, mm. I was a very rebellious kid, rebellious teenager. Mm. Um, started smoking very young, started drinking very young, okay. started doing class A drugs, I think when I was 17. I was gonna say, did you have a specific, uh, as we say, poison, if you like, um, you know, or was it anything which was available to distract yourself from yourself? I mean, I would, I would take anything. Okay. I really just didn't care. I had a very high aversion to risk. Right. Um, but it was alcohol and cocaine that kind of really, really did colour my my twenties. And on my personal rock bottom, which was September the thirteenth, I know that because my sobriety date is September fourteenth. It was alcohol and it was cocaine. I think there was also ecstasy and God knows mm-hmm. what else was there. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of my own, yeah, my own rock bottom. Okay. Um, but alcohol was the one that. I think has caused me the greatest issue okay. um, over the last decade of my life. Which is, uh, I suppose, I don't know what the right word is, if ironic is the right word, because that's the only legal substance out of the lot, right? Um, uh, and yeah, it is such a crippling substance for some people. Um, and I say that for some people, because obviously we know that, you know, it's not something that uh, we can blanket, because some people can obviously um, drink uh, in balance or, or whatever. Balance, uh, what's that? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, we're not here to pass judgment on uh, people's lifestyles and uh, decisions in regards to being teetotal or not. It's just for us as individuals who are obviously addicts, um, we recognise that um, it, we have an allergy to it and therefore it don't work for us. Um, but that, okay, that's interesting to know. So that that was um, your, uh, I suppose, poison or what brought you to 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 deciding to change. And so, so a year ago, um, you. What, what brought you to uh, then make that decision, I suppose, or how did that come about? To be honest, I think it was a very long time coming. Mm-hmm. And I think it was something that I did not want to face. Mm-hmm. I had had um, a couple of people mention to me over the last few years that drinking, they thought my drinking might be a problem. Mm-hmm. But of course, as an addict who was still very much in active addiction, 
Um, I just reacted with rage and how dare you judge me and you're so boring and off I went to drink a pint and a a tequila chaser. Mm. Um, So I think other people saw it before I did, Mm. possibly subconsciously I knew I needed to to change, Mm. but I just wasn't ready. Um, Mm. And what started to happen was my drinking was very tied to my social life. So it kind of hid under that. I'm going out, I'm going to a meeting, I'm going out with friends. You can just about get away with it. And but if you don't mind me interjecting and asking, what were you doing at that time work-wise? Were you a musician at that point? Oh, or? I was a bit of a musician, a bit of a manager, um, okay. a 100% wreck. That's, that's the, the one thing I can say. Right. I was very lost, very confused. Because I'm just wondering whether, whether your actual work environment uh, helped or enabled you to continue drinking or not. I mean, or... it definitely enables it. My, my jobs as a singer and then as a manager, mm. now back in, in singing songwriting, we'll get to that, but mm. it, it, in the music industry, it's widely available. You go to gigs, you get a free rider, you can even get free drugs. And I took full advantage of that for a really, really long time, wow. thinking it was great. Okay. Not realizing that you know, over a long time, I was destroying mm. my physical, mental, and spiritual health. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was the last few years. I so I was living in London. That was when I had a lot of addictions were were having a lot of fun with me, and I got evicted from my flat in London because I didn't pay my rent. As as we do. As we do, yeah. and I had to move back in with my my dad. Consequences. What consequences? <laughs> yeah, move back in no. with my dad. And I took a month off drinking and I look back now, I'm like, you should have seen then. Why didn't you see then? Um, So I took a month off and then celebrated the month off by getting drunk. Um, And then I met a guy, ended up moving to Amsterdam where I lived for three years. Um, And it was when I was living with him that things really started to to get messy because I was drinking every day not socialising, I was just drinking every day, I well, couldn't... I'm, 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 I'm contemplating Amsterdam um, uh, because my relation to Amsterdam is one of uh, non-sobriety, so yeah. um, it, was it a place that, because I know that might be just a stereotypical um, thought or um, concept that, you know, Amsterdam's quite liberal in terms of drugs, so it would be not a great place for you to um, be? Or It's liberal, of course, because weed is legal there. Mm. Um, but actually, the majority of people smoking all the time are the Brits and the people that go and travel there. Right. The actual people right. that live in Amsterdam um, live very kind of relaxed, so it's fairly not... sober lives from at least the people that, that I met. Um, right. So I took my British binge drinking and over to Amsterdam with me. Right, okay. So um, apologies. So yeah, No, no, so, that, that's yeah. okay. So yeah, so most evenings would look like, you know, loading up Netflix. So evenings, I'd start watching it at 12 o'clock. Um, and then just drinking and drinking until the point when I would pass out. But what began to happen is um, what they call blackout drunk. Yeah. So not remembering the night before. And mm. it just, it, well, yeah, it's really dangerous. I mean, I've, I've slept on a street. I've got in bar fights. I've weed in the back of an Uber. I've done horrible mm. things when I'm a horrible drunk. Um, and it got to the point where I was waking up maybe once a week and my partner saying to me do you remember what you did last night and what may have been in my 20s like oh no tell me who did I get in a fight with what what club am I barred from it was this crushing shame of like no please tell me mm-hmm. and some days it was oh you bought drinks for everyone in the bar and everyone thought you were great but now you can't pay rent 
that's okay, I'll, I'll take that, you know. Yeah. And some days it was, you slapped me around the face and you called my mum this horrible name and um, you've posted something on social media about someone at so work. the degrees of, like, but, destruction. Oh, it was, it was awful. And then just the shame. And I just remember hating myself. And I used to cry as he'd tell me these things. And I was like, but that's not me. I can't believe it. And that almost perpetuates sometimes. Oh, well, then I... I hated myself so much. The only way to stop was to drink again. To be, it was the only way I could to smile was to have a drink, and then yeah. the same thing happens yeah, again. It's a cycle. And then I kind of I got to a moment which was actually about my physical health. Um, I was a lot heavier. I was about two stone heavier, eating very unhealthily, I was smoking. And actually, it was it was my partner who just one day he said oh, I've had this vision of us and like we're healthy and we're working out and there's this other life available you're in great shape now obviously um thank you very much I, I don't feel it because I haven't been sticking to my exercise regime but I'm a lot better than than where I was which was yeah I, I say heavier being thinner isn't necessarily being being healthier so I have to be careful with, with yeah, that most for me it was mm. it was done in a healthy way but I think uh, for people who are not necessarily viewing this uh, on YouTube um, but are listening um, and maybe not familiar with your Instagram and your social media um, it, I know that that was a very um, specific part of your recovery exercise isn't it and it that is. transformation um, from living unhealthily so when you're talking about living your lifestyle in Amsterdam um, and and you know, uh, um, being overweight and things. I'm just trying to get a picture to people yeah. um, because when I saw those images, it was wow, that's a transformation. Yeah. And hence, we, we wanted you on the show for New Year. Okay. New yeah. Because uh, New Year, yeah. New Me. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, there's a, a saying I've heard before, which is we come for the vanity and we stay for the sanity. And <laughs> that like was that. me. I like that. Um, I wanted to yeah. lose weight and get thin and, yes. and look great and blog about it, but actually, by taking control of my um, eating habits, my drinking habits, all those things, it's led to a huge, huge change, which is way more beneficial than yeah. than getting a six pack. Yeah. But that was the vehicle. Mm -hmm. My own ego and my own desire to lose weight was the vehicle that helped me. Right, right. Um, but, but as you were saying, so your partner at the time, he had this vision of you guys did. getting to he that did. stage. Um, so yeah. he's almost like a mystic Meg. He, he predicted it. He, he did. I think he might have been smoking a little bit of weed <laughs> that night but I remember the, the phone call um, it was actually a phone call but very very clearly and when I was then back with him we kind of made this plan we joined a gym now I'm someone that's done that countless times started a new diet joined a new gym bought the new book it was always the same and I never stuck to it right. but this time something was different okay. I, I stuck to it and I remember doing weird little things right like Say I'd be getting ready for bed and I'd yeah. take my socks off. Yeah. I was always extremely messy, so I'd just throw my socks on the floor. Yeah. I didn't take any care of myself or mm -hmm. my space. Mm -hmm. But at this time, I remember being like, no, I am a person who puts dirty socks in the washing basket and I'd go and do it. Yeah. So I was like reprogramming my inner conversation and my mm -hmm. inner actions mm -hmm. to somebody that did healthier things. Okay. And just those, those small things started to change. And, and for mm -hmm. whatever reason, this time it stuck and I didn't quit. Now, by no means was it perfect. I had relapses in going to the gym. I took it too far. I almost developed an eating disorder. Um, Could we try and find a timeline here? Because yeah, um, 2018 is when you got sober in, uh, yes. in that you've had a year of sobriety yes. now. So where would this have been then? This was in about June 
2018. So okay. actually, physical health came before yeah. sobriety. Um, but what happened was I became so passionate about health and fitness. Yeah. I just started to feel so much better. I, I had this body image of myself as just someone that was overweight, sluggish, lazy. That's yeah. just me. Yeah. I'm just big boned. Right. Um, and then suddenly realizing that wasn't true and I could make changes and I and I didn't need to quit on things and mm -hmm. I could not be perfect but still make progress. Mm -hmm. um, and that became a real passion and that led me to reach out to a dear, dear friend of mine who was very, very active in the fitness industry. Mm -hmm. Him and his wife run an amazing Instagram account called NYC FitFam. Very, very inspirational. Check out, yeah, check it out. Um, couple and I, I asked to meet with him just to pick his brain about getting healthy and during that meeting for whatever reason he shared with me his story about getting sober right. and I of course was like oh yeah well, that's not for me because I'm not an addict but maybe I could try drinking a little less <laughs> and from that point I did I, mm -hmm. I said I was going to stop to stop drinking and I tried to do it on my own mm -hmm. and I managed controlled drinking for a few months actually okay. Okay. having two glasses of wine on a Friday and then forcing myself to go home mm. my god it was hard it was all I thought about um and actually for me <clears throat> and my personal story um leaving that crack open actually led to a really big relapse of drink and drugs um, in September when I was meant to be away on a work photo shoot and I missed the photo shoot. The photographer was left in Ibiza for two days. <clears throat> I didn't contact him, I didn't contact my manager. Wow. And I just, yeah, I stayed up for two days. I, I took a lot of drugs, I got really drunk, I cheated on my boyfriend. And it was when I came home and realized that what I was doing was insane. Mm that the self-destruction was a completely different level. Here's a girl during the week who's trying to lose weight and be healthy and listen to all these podcasts and go to the gym. And then at the weekend you go and do this. Well, that's insanity. Yeah, yeah. And that's what made me realize I'm actually not in control of alcohol. Mm. Um, and yeah, and that's when I went to my first recovery group. And then the real journey began. <laughs> so is that are. then when Rory was born or does this come later um, in the story? No, it's about the same time, which, you know, I think looking back now, I can see the, the grand plan in it all. So, yeah, I had had a small singer-songwriter career um, as Roxanne Emery in the UK when I was younger, and I wasn't ready. I had a wild ego. Um, and How also, old were you, were you at that stage? I was about 23, okay, um, okay. and I did that for a few years, and, yeah, wasn't ready. My mm. I hadn't developed my talent enough. I hadn't right. put in the hard work. Yeah, yeah. Um, my mental health was all over the place. I mm. wanted everybody to love me, and if they didn't, then it triggered very low self-esteem. And I, I just was not stable. And it's a hard place to be as it is, the, the music industry, uh, in, any, in any form. Like, it is. Um, even if you are stable, it's yeah, hard. If you're yeah. a raving lunatic like me, it's even harder. Um, well, as I say, I, I experienced the same situation in that 17 I was when um, I found my way into the music industry. Okay, it's young. Um, exactly, <laughs> right? Um, and my addiction issues hadn't really surfaced 
as yet. Um, they were mild, but they were brewing underneath. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so no, I can definitely relate. And the music industry, it does encourage, we touched upon it earlier, um, at least for me, I felt like, you know, smoking weed every day, oh, it makes me creative, like, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, um, as you say, um, even when I wasn't a musician, but then I went into radio and TV, I was working for Virgin Radio, where we'd constantly be at parties all the time, like, you know, hosting parties and inviting other club owners, other radio stations to party. It just, and it just encouraged that abundance of drinking in fact um yes. you know uh, i've got some facts and figures here can you believe 73 percent of musicians report suffering from mental illness for i can starters. absolutely um, believe that it's, it's crazy and yeah. as i say you know within that um uh, drug addiction and alcoholism is a huge factor so um so yeah so getting uh, into the music industry at 23 for yourself um when you're not Again, uh, even uh, at a stage where you've recognised your addiction issues as yet, you were still much in denial, I suppose, um, would you say? or um, No, not... I was proud of it. Oh, really? Okay. I was a okay. party girl. I okay. drink everyone under the table. So, yeah, okay, I was, actually, I was true. proud that's true. of it. Yeah, no, actually, that's Not true. only I didn't realise, it was worse. Yeah, yeah, I actually can relate. It was part of my... That was actually how I was as well, actually. Part, yeah. of, part of the identity yeah. and, you know, in the music industry. That. Why, why do you think that is, though? Why do we embrace it in such a way that almost we wear it as a crown then? Like, um, because know, it's seen the last, as last person standing kind of thing it's seen as cool mm. isn't it it's like the person that will eat the hottest curry to show off that's me also it's just all away look how big i am look how strong i am i it's can like do eight shots egoism again but it's like, so yeah. egoism and mm. that's yeah the first sign of an addict mm -hmm. the last mm -hmm. man standing mm. um i understand that now but you know the music industry it, it celebrates youth mm. and it celebrates getting messy and like taking things to extreme and that mental health conversation is ignored so when you put young people with very delicate egos in front of a load of free drink and drugs what do you think is going to happen but unfortunately it's also encouraged I know a lot of artists nowadays who are encouraged by their management and their record labels to drink and do drugs because it's living their most artistic life it's bringing out their artistry and that for me is is shocking because when you look at stories of people like Amy Winehouse and Avicii that ends one way and it's not worth it no amount of streams or hit records or platinum records on the wall is worth somebody dying it's it's so sad and you you mentioned Amy Winehouse is uh it's it's crazy that yeah that that was the the name which came to your mind because um, one of the rehabs I was in I became friends with her manager one of her previous managers who basically was there obviously for her own addiction issues yeah. um, and she basically reiterated everything that that or, or reiterated everything you said just there um, in that she was almost like the supplier for her and thus. Inevitably, she in turn formed an addiction as well, you know, and it's just rife. It's just rife, as you say. Um, and it's just so sad to see uh, that even within lyrics itself, it's encouraging the young people to party all night and not think about the consequences. It's, it's laden uh, in the actual songwriting. Um, so how did you tackle that then and compete with that um, whilst, you know, trying to mend yourself in the process? 
what do you mean in terms of songwriting? Um, so, so just at the whole environment itself, as you say, like, you know, if you're feeling like, you know, you have to be a person yeah. who's the last person standing, you know, it's cool to be the most messy and, you know, most, as we call it, mash up in yeah. my crew. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, how do you then go from there to a person who now advocates sobriety and says, you know, mental health is more important and, you know, sober living and spirituality? You know? So to be honest, I'm still tackling it. Okay. I don't know. Mm. Um, what I know is that f for my personal story, my dream of being a singer-songwriter has come back since I got sober. Okay. So the alcohol, my choice to drink so much and take drugs, took away the very core of my identity and who I was. So that for me is a, is a huge motivation. However, um, I would be lying if I didn't tell you the other side. So for example, last week I went to a Christmas party mm -hmm. and I don't even know if I really wanted to go because sober partying isn't that fun. But there was part of me that was like, I've still got it. I can still do this. Like I'll be the last man sober, so standing and I'll be sober. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. still looking for that attention and that validation. So I went out to this Christmas party I think I got there at nine. I smoked cigarettes for the first time in, in a year okay. because I actually couldn't be there without something self-destructive, right. um, which is utterly ridiculous. It's crazy. It's, yeah, it's crazy. I, I and still I, can relate, yeah. I stayed there until 2 a.m. dancing um, to try and prove something to somebody who wasn't even there, who didn't even care. I, you know, I've still got it. Being a performer, that, you know, the idea that we want attention as well, like to a certain extent. It is, but go and write a great song and sing it on stage, get attention <laughs> that way. Like, why are you like shaking your sober self at a, a party until 2 a.m.? And actually, it made me feel terrible because, um, yeah, I went home and I was so drained because actually being out in loud music, people screaming at you, everyone's drunk, it's really draining to me these days. Mm. And I woke up the next day and, and for the first time in a really, really long time, had some very, very depressive thoughts, some intrusive thoughts, some suicidal thoughts, wow. things I hadn't... And that's just from being in the environment. It's from being in the environment. And I just realised, okay, I need to re really address this. Like, I don't know if I can... Mm go partying and you know some days I'm like oh gosh I'm so boring like remember those all-nighters and remember being that person but when I feel boring I just have to remember well I've got a song on the radio and I've got record labels that want to sign my music and everything I thought was lost has been restored which is so I'll take a little bit of boring for that I was gonna say which is something we need to address because uh, I love the way you dropped that so casually a song on the radio you wrote <laughs> the song Post Malone which literally um, peaked at number 10 I believe in the charts I don't know. Um, and uh, it, at the same time as that it was in the top 40 for 14 weeks um, that is phenomenal um, so yeah, I, I'm sure I don't need to tell people. Sam felt uh, featuring Ronnie. That song actually was a banger, and a banger. I, I can't believe that you. I'm sitting in front of the person oh. who wrote it. Um, so that's a real achievement. And as I say, uh, for our theme, New Year, New Me, that's quite a transformation from being an addict, being somebody who. Did you ever? Um, so was it initially uh, your idea to be a, a ghostwriter or a songwriter, um, or were you always thinking I want to be a musician in my own right? Um, that is a, is a long how, answer yeah, to that How question. did that come about, you writing a, such, a, such an amazing song for, for these artists? Well, I think I've always wanted to be a singer-songwriter. 
Um, I had that experience in my 20s, lost it due to personal life changes, went into music management, pretended I didn't want to do it anymore. Okay. Um, I came back to writing in January 2017, I believe. Um, had you been sorry, sober at that stage? Right? Uh, January 2018. No, okay. it was okay. actually it was the same year. It's okay. funny. Everything happened in the same year. Yeah. Um, January 2018, and my self esteem was very very low as a singer. Yeah. I knew I was an okay ish songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, I really really needed to make some money, so I just started showing up writing songs. Okay. Um, and it was in May um, 2018 that myself. My friend Jonas and then then Rani, the singer, wrote this song together. And it is quite funny because the song's about going out and having a really fun time and never going out, mm. written by the most boring person <laughs> known to man. So the ultimate irony. But, you know, maybe I was channeling my old rock star self mm. um, in the song. But, yeah, it to be honest, that song has changed a lot for me because when you have a hit record, it opens a lot of doors. So I'm able to work with a lot of people now and be in with like hit makers and it's brilliant trying to keep the old imposter syndrome at bay and just make the most of it um, and I love writing for other people mm. but at my core I really really love to tell my own story mm. particularly now I feel I've got one of value um, mm. that mm. does relate to addiction, sobriety, mm. codependency, all that stuff. So my EP is going to be the most depressing thing ever, but <laughs> it will be authentic. So there you go. Well, I've had a listen to your your music um, and I think it's uh, amazing. Um, uh, but we'll get to that because I know that first and foremost, uh, as we mentioned, Rory was born, um, your oh, alter yeah. ego, right? Yes. Um, and at that stage, <laughs> um, you probably didn't necessarily, uh, in your own words, identify with it as being yourself. Um, it, it was uh, something you could almost utilize uh, as a means to express um, some of the, this uh, narrative and story that you've been through. Um, so, and I looked on your Instagram as well, um, on your personal account as well, um, and noticed that you've been almost blogging your whole journey um, of sobriety as well, um, which is amazing within itself. So maybe we can uh, address some of that. You know, how did that all come about then? As I say, the Rory uh, alter ego yeah. and then decision at the same time to put all of your journey of sobriety out there uh, for the public to see yeah I think um the sobriety thing was just I like attention so So that but it's true I like attention and and that was my way of getting attention and rather than it being you know a selfie of me partying it's I've just done an AA meeting and yeah I do believe God will use a fool Mm -hmm. and that's true and then he used me and that and that's great so it wasn't me trying to save the world. I probably would have thought that at the time. But looking back, look, you're on Instagram, you're thirsty for attention. Um, and I was able to share something quite good. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that. But it helped me. What helped me was it was like this weird accountability because mm-hmm. I'm showing up. I'm losing weight. I'm sober. <laughs> so days when I just wanted to go and eat at McDonald's and not go to the gym, I was like, but I need to blog, so I need to go to the gym. Right, so right. my weird need to show off and get validated by the public actually kind of helped me in a strange way. Again. So, you know, they, there you go. That, that is what it is. The Rory thing, it's a, fu- it's a funny story. It's kind of looking back now, because um, it's only been a year. Um, so I had this desire, I started songwriting, but I had this desire to sing again. But I hated myself so much 
that I couldn't do it. I could not believe I was good enough. I felt old. I felt overweight. I didn't feel my voice was strong enough. And just my internal conversation mm. was, you are a loser, you're a failure. Mm. And it is very, very hard to step out into your creative mm. self yeah, yeah. when you're talking to yourself in that way. But there was this thing kind of bubbling. I thought, well, you know, how do I counterbalance being old and being overweight and hating myself? Well, I'd just be somebody else. Mm. Um, and I must say, it was my ex-boyfriend again who really helped me in picking this kind of alter ego. And, mm. and Rory, it's the start and end of my name, Roxanne Emery. Nice. So it's like, who you're meant to be, who you're going to end up, and we'll just take out all the rubbish in the middle when you made a few bad decisions. <laughs> um but it was an alter ego. It wasn't me because I'm uncool and I'm fat and I'm old and I'm shy and I hate myself. Mm. So we create herb. I bought a wig. I bought all these cool clothes that I would never, ever wear in a million years because I used to wear all these baggy black clothes. Mm. And it was this weird thing happened because I'd have these clothes hanging in the wardrobe that I loved, mm -hmm. but they're far too cool. I can't wear those. And I'd be like actually may, maybe I can. And as the months went on, I started to break down um, that gap between the alter ego, the person who I really wanted to be, the identity that I wasn't cool enough to have and actually realize I can be that. The only thing in my way is my own thinking. And that, that took a process of, of a year. Yeah. And in fact, I only really made the commitment. She was always, she, this alter ego, and then a, a few months ago, one of my managers, Suze, who sat over there, um, basically just encouraged me and was like, why, why be an alter ego? Like, just be that. That's mm. who you are. Mm. Um, and that's actually when I stopped blogging and was like, I'm going to be an artist and a musician mm. and I don't hate myself anymore. That's amazing. And that was, uh, that's the freest day. That's what I wish for everybody to not hate themselves. So I love that this is called Love Will Be Hate because sometimes we see that as external in the yeah, world. But definitely. for me, yeah. it was love beating hate yeah. to myself, to learn well, how to love myself. Again, that is something I really relate to is that that idea of being too old, almost having lost uh, you know, the prime years of my life because of my addiction and because of my own lack of self-belief and everything else. And as an artist, um, you know, I think it's very brave of you to, to launch uh, and still have those kind of fears within your mind because as I say, I know personally, if I'm honest with myself, that's what stopped me from getting back into music. I kept saying to myself, well, I'm, I'm over 30, you know, who wants to hear a 35 year old man rapping and singing? Like, I do. I mean? like, so there you go, let's do a duet. Because, <laughs> do yeah. Right, the industry does care. I, yeah. I can't lie and say, hmm. and say it doesn't. And part hmm. of the reason, I've got my blue hair and I'll tell the truth, I get a little bit of Botox. I absolutely succumb to it and I know that there is an age pressure. However, yeah, yeah. it is changing in the age of streaming and director fan connections. We can do it. So you want to come and rap a verse I'm in a song? Listen, Are you down? I, I am down. I am. And like, this, really? is, this is on radio now. This is recorded. This is on the podcast. So we've got evidence. I'm down generally. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Shaking on it. I can't wait. I'm oh, really, man. really excited. I think you've got some mad rap game. <laughs> I really want to hear that. Oh my God, this is going to be this next will be level. Amazing. This will be amazing. I love this. I love this. It will be love. will be hey, uh, first single oh in effect. God. Look at that. There you go. Look at that. But look, but that is the point. And <laughs> I think you're, you're very right though, because, you know, um, again, I was looking at some articles within the music industry um, from like, you know, um, uh, 
uh, I, I won't name them, but you know, major major magazines uh, and major kind of like outlets and whatnot. Um, and it seems that there is uh, more, at least, awareness around the issue of mental health and um, all the stigmas which come with uh, addiction and um, you know alcoholism and everything other um, within uh, you know that space um, seem to start to. Uh, be addressed a little bit more at the forefront maybe because artists themselves are coming uh, and sharing their kind of like experiences and you know being a bit more open about it and at the same time we've had so many tragedies as well um, which have in a way shone a light upon it um, but yeah as I say I was looking at some articles and for instance I don't know how you feel about some of these statements um, uh, you know I was reading um, for instance though the community has grown more open in the past few years with regard to talking about issues like mental health people are still not willing to admit that substance abuse can often augment mental health issues um, because as I say it, though we are addressing it more as individuals the environment itself is still very toxic though I find um, and is, how do we address that that's, that's that is so true well we're not just looking at artists we're looking at managers A&Rs people that work at record labels um, and I see it everywhere we go. A lot of these people are fueled on alcohol and cocaine. Mm, yeah. So how can we expect people in active addiction themselves to look after artists and, and help and protect them until the conversation is, is brought home? And I really resonate with that so much. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the environment is toxic and it can be really, really difficult, especially when you plug in somebody very, very young into that as well. And and key to that, um, another article uh, at AtlantaCanadianMusic.com, um, I read why musicians get addicted. The word sensitivity kept cropping up, yeah. which is interesting. Take a young artist, and the way they pose it is like this. So musicians are often intriguing, popular characters who are well-respected for their devotion to their craft. However, it is very common for musicians to have characteristics that they try not to let the public see, mental disorders. Mental disorders are common among all types of artists. The artistic process requires sensitivity, but sensitivity opens doors to mental illness and chaos. That's how they see it. That's anyway. the gospel right there, right. son, isn't it? Yeah. Um, interesting. Um, it's quite harsh wording, right? And it just shows... Oh, it? Uh, well, that just I, sounds like truth to me. Well, I, I, I don't know, because it is truth, but at the same time, I don't know. Do, do, do you think... You know, is it that sensitivity just equates to mental illness and chaos? Are they just hand in no, hand? No, I would, I would never make a blanket statement like that. I can only talk about my own. Because, experience. as you say, because I, I think there is a lot of truth in my own experience. But as I say, I suppose the only reason why I thought it was a bit harsh is because, yeah, it, when you put it like that, though, like you know, um, as I say, it was, it really made me think, like. Am I just a big sensitive bag of mess? Like, but that's what allows me to be creative. Well, and, yeah, but that's where we write. Like, where do you think the most beautiful paintings come from? Look at these people cutting their ears yeah. off and going crazy. Like, <laughs> we are a little bit mental, but it's yeah. when we yeah. channel that mm -hmm. into art and the general public get to see it and resonate with the fact that we're all a little bit crazy. We get to channel the okay, sensitivity yeah. in everyone and there is a bit of a price to pay for that. Maybe you're right, no, maybe you are right. Um, maybe I'm just shy of uh, the, 
the harsh reality of it that yeah, being maybe, a bit mad we're yeah, all a bit mad don't yeah, we yeah, maybe, welcome uh, yeah. to the club maybe I need to embrace it more um, <laughs> embrace but, it but at least as I say at least they are addressing it though and they are recognising it to a certain extent I just wonder um, if uh, because for instance even within genres of music you know the way that drugs and uh, addiction is looked at is so different um, you know for instance uh, with highbrow classical and jazz music it's got negative connotations yeah. whereas with house trance techno and all that kind of stuff yeah. it has positive connotations yeah. you know um and so again even from that uh, side of things from the the audience's kind of consumption of music and partying like you yeah. say it, it very much depends on what type of music you're listening to as to what kind of path you might even take God, it's very interesting you mentioned those genres i've done a lot of work in those genres and yeah drugs are prevalent in electronic dance music. However, mm. if you go and look at the biggest DJs and artists in those genres, they aren't talking about drugs. Mm. They're not talking about it on their Instagram, about addressing their audience. Yeah. Everyone ignores it. They know yeah. it's happening. Yeah. People go to festivals. The majority of people there are on a class A drug. Yeah. Nobody addresses it. Why? Because they're getting paid. Mm. So we don't talk about it. So yeah, even though it is looked on more favorably, mm. people are still not being honest yeah. and authentic about it. Yeah. And we have people on their Instagrams like smiling and, mm. and with the crowd photos and everything's going great, mm. but then they're drinking every night or they're doing loads of class A drugs mm. in the mm. green room. Mm. And it's this secret lifestyle in music is actually very, very destructive and it, and it gets to a lot of people. So even just, you know, having a conversation like this, it's being honest about the fact it exists. You, it's you, very important. You're very right. And and I think you touched upon another interesting point there, the, the aspect of binge drinking, because whilst we may have been daily um, self-medicators, if you like, in the height of our addiction, there are people who are addicts who are not aware that they are addicts just because they think that, well, I don't drink every day or I don't take drugs every day. But that's not to say that they're not just white knuckling it through the week, waiting for the weekend to come where they can get smashed, right? Yeah. Um, and that's a whole nother, as I say, demographic, which I don't even know within these statistics if they even come into it, you know, because yeah. when people say like, for instance, statistically, we're told that there's over half a million people who are dependent drinkers um, and less than 20% are actually receiving any treatment. Yeah. Um, I would say and argue that there's more than that because as I say, um, you know, that doesn't account for all the binge drinkers and other people, um, you know, uh, in between. Um, so it, it is a massive, massive issue. Um, but then what made you decide to step back from that Instagram account, which was helping you so much? Um, because, you know, being uh, Rory, was Rory just in your musical space then? Or yeah. was that part, was that, so, so that's separate from Rory, the blogging aspect and Roxanne Emery? Yeah, it was, was me, is me as an artist, my musical voice, mm -hmm. my writing and, and my own music. And it began as an alias almost to have a bit of fun and what does it feel like to be confident and not hate myself and I dedicated myself imperfectly of course as it always is but I dedicated myself to healing mm -hmm. which meant recovery groups and dealing with addiction mm -hmm. it meant that awakening to my own thoughts reading a lot of philosophy listening to a lot of podcasts about self-development countless hours in mm -hmm. meditation in mm -hmm. reading and after a year mm. of dedicating myself to healing, I suddenly realized I'm ready. I'm ready to be what I always wanted to be, which is a singer and is an artist. 
Um, again, it was my manager, Suze, who really encouraged me because mm. it is scary. Because when I made that decision, I was 34, which in music is ancient. They're yeah, already picking out your coffin. Yeah. Um, and I was like, that's oh, but I don't know. There was though. fear. There was all this fear really in me. But it's it's what I wanted. And this, mm. you know, the blogging, I love it. And one day, God willing, I will write a book and I will tell the story. Mm. But I want to go and write a few more hit records first. And who knows, maybe even sing a few of my own. Why not? Why and not? I just realised that you know, what was the point in spending all these hours healing mm. if I wasn't going to go and live as a healed person? That's and I it. had this moment when very often in conversation with people as they were talking a dream would would come out something that they'd long forgotten or that they didn't want to do and i'd always encourage them be like it's not too late go and do it there's purpose if it's on your heart it's there for a reason mm. and i was like whoa girl you want to turn that mirror back on yourself because you aren't doing that i'm not doing it how can yeah. i go and tell everyone live your dream mm. when i'm there cowering in, in a corner and not and doing it do you think that personal account where you were you know, um, detailing your journey, then do you think it was slightly a hindrance by the end of it from your musical aspirations then? It absolutely was a hindrance because it was a comfort zone. Mm. I could log on, write a post about my day, do a little picture, airbrush it a bit, make my nose a bit smaller and get 2,000 likes. Great. Like that is validation.com. So for someone with a very delicate ego, which I have, it was brilliant. But that's not what I truly wanted. Like, it was okay mm -hmm. for me. And yeah. that that's actually quite hard to say because it helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I hope it's okay and not arrogant to say that I think it helped other people a lot. No, I definitely um, think it did. Though. From some of the conversations I had. Mm. But it was crunch time because I couldn't continue to be two different people. Like, either you're going to be a blogger or you're going to go and be an artist. Like, which one? You've got to decide. Because... I do have limited energy. Mm. We have to prioritise. And for me, being an artist, is it's what is the core of me at the moment. So my commitment was I'm going to go and do it for a year. Mm. And if it doesn't work, I've got an amazing, humbling story to bring back to go into writing again in the future. But actually... At the moment, things are working. That's a beautiful way to look at. That's a beautiful way to look at. Um, I suppose. Uh, um, I, I think what's interesting though also is that. Whilst I have so many uh, aspects of this story that I relate to, as I say, you know, being a musician myself initially, um, you know, still being in the arts as an actor now, um, but having gone through addiction issues, um, at the same time, the mental health side of things and the depression and the, the issues around that and the self-worth. But one thing I suppose um, I still am um, probably unsure about uh, with yourself is that what was the cause of all this though? Because for me, as I say, I could probably put it down to, all right, I was sexually abused when I was 12 years old. Um, I had a lot of issues around um, physical abuse as well in terms of, my dad was a bit old school, so, you know, um, whilst I love him to bits now, you know, at that time, you know, he didn't know how to process his own emotions. So he used to hit us a lot for his way of disciplining us, right? Uh, it, you know, but, but, you know, it's, I suppose those things, I, as I say, have helped me at least identify why when I place limitations on myself, I know where it's coming from. It's the idea of someone pointing their finger at me saying you're not good enough or, you know, you know, why didn't you get an A in that? Or, you know, all these little things which uh, come around my, my upbringing or, you know, uh, the environment I had when I was younger. But for yourself, as I say, um, can you put your finger on it yet as to what created this within you? Um, and does at, it even matter? At the moment, I prefer to take full responsibility for it myself. 
of course I can. And in therapy sessions, of course, I dig mm -hmm. deep and mm -hmm. I can point the finger or even just say it might have been this, it might have been that. I don't know. All I know is that was the kind of journey I was given, that was the soul I was given. And now all I want to do is heal the healthy relationships where I can. And that begins with myself. I really like that, though, as well, because, as I say, for me, whilst I've gone on this journey of trying to really understand what the reason is, I'm not saying that necessarily has helped, though, because sometimes that's actually been a hindrance because sometimes that's locked me into my relapsing because it then becomes a crutch of like, well, this happened to me and this happened to me. So I've got a right to kind of like, well, you know, no. what, um, what happened to you to go through sexual abuse at 12 mm -hmm. is horrendous and it's not fair. And something very, very pure was like stolen from you. Mm -hmm. And I think it is absolutely right and valid mm -hmm. that you are allowed to express that and have anger towards that mm -hmm. and, and grieve that. Mm -hmm. So I think that is absolutely right, right for you. I think that's also a really interesting point, though, uh, in that not everybody has to have the diagnosis or the underlying kind of answer or key to all their issues off you know uh, addiction and sobriety if you understand what I mean uh, because for instance I've met people who keeping it simple as they say um, actually has just been easier for them to process the issue and get better where sometimes I found uh, I would get locked into self-pity because of the traumas I'd experienced and rather than utilizing them to transform myself and defy the limitations which maybe society and somebody who had undergone those experiences might uh, place upon you um, you know, you know, it, it, it sometimes became a hindrance um, rather than a help. Um, but for you, as you say, not necessarily needing, uh, you know, to put your finger specifically on it. Um, do you feel that, as I say, has been a hindrance or has helped you transform? And what do you think was really holding you back from transforming into this new person? Um, in terms of putting my finger on things, I went through, as everybody does, some difficult things, difficult things in my parental relationships, losing my mum at 22, difficult romantic relationships, difficult relationship with my sibling, there's a million things. Um, but I found that looking backwards, I could get lost. It's very, in, it's very good to process and, and to look back and to think. But for me, where my healing came was, was from feeling. From feeling, from noticing when I got triggered, when I felt a certain way, which was often unheard or judged if I felt something was unfair, to sit with that, to go back to do the inner child work, um, to do a kind of more deep subconscious healing rather than thinking. Because we can think ourselves in circles. In terms of what was holding me back, the core of it was an identity issue. I didn't know who I was and I felt uncomfortable in my own skin and I hated myself, I hated what I looked like, how I lived, what I said, my relationships, my friends, where I lived, what I, I hated everything, I hated my history. And when you're living in a place of hating yourself, like you can't hate yourself into something that you love. Yeah. And that's why it's important on a healing journey to do it with love. If you wanna lose weight, don't do it because you hate yourself. Do it because you love your body so much you want to be healthy. If you want to get into meditation, don't do it because you hate that you've got your stress and you've got anger issues. Do it because you want to explore and do it with love. And I learned that very messily and in a very hard way, but I learned it nonetheless. Well, as the title says, love will beat hate, right? There you go. Um, Dropped it in. 
Lana, Lana, segue, baby. Um, no, but it's, it's, it's so true, right? And I think your story really, really shows that. Um, that it, it's, as I say, within a year, so much has transformed for you. Um, and that shows that sometimes when, you know, we put down uh, the destructive substance, when we start looking within, when we start working on ourselves, um, improving ourselves, loving ourselves, um, ensuring that we don't limit ourselves by the past and we don't allow others or anything within society to define for us um, what we can aspire to or dream of being. Um, I think your story really does show that because as I say, like I've been hiding, uh, like I said, as a, a musician just because of that age thing. Or, um, you know, people, especially social media, you've mentioned there, like it's massive self-image now as an issue. Um, so for someone who so publicly owned it and showed this journey um, from a point of weight loss to a point of addiction um, and everything else in between to now becoming this artist who has this massive um, hit um, you know song on the radio already as I say it just really does show what you can achieve if you don't allow others to limit you or society to limit you or anything other and you really do believe in yourself um, hopefully other people will take from that and transform in the new year into a new me um, what what finally then would you give as advice um, as a new year's resolution to yourself and to others new year's resolution for me is just to keep going as I have been one day at a time trying to be a bit better than yesterday and failing and still doing it that's that's what it's about in terms of giving other people advice on how to transform I think the thing I'd say is first of all really look at your internal conversation why you want to I was at a point when I was I was depressed, I had anxiety, I was still self-harming in my 30s and a horrible self-hatred conversation in my head. Mm. And I just went and sought out materials, whether it's podcasts or books, walking in nature, meditation, yoga, try everything, coping see what works, right? good coping mechanisms, yeah, yeah. not cocaine, yeah. <laughs> and go and follow those threads and just pull and see and it will be messy mm. and you'll mess up. One of the things that stopped me was starting a diet or saying I'm going to write a song a day every day the day when we fall off which we will is mm. the day we quit because we mm. then shame ourselves oh, I am a failure mm. I don't stick to anything I'm just fat I'm just useless no you're not it's not about you don't fail if you get back up so let's say you start a new diet and then you do a five-day binge get back on it mm -hmm. like it, it's okay to do it messily and do it imperfectly and yeah just to encourage to look at what they're consuming on social media, on Netflix. So it's something I did. I, I stopped looking at social media that made me feel bad and I mm. followed therapists and philosophers, inspirational people. I stopped watching Netflix and I started watching documentaries about mm. the, the mind and the healing. Like so knowledge the point is power. Is Start really with take, knowledge. Really taking ownership of your, uh, your mental health and really paving a path uh, of transformation rather than just talking about it or thinking or, you know, um, you really, as I say, uh, have shown that, you know, if you apply yourself, 
um, change can happen. Um, so, so yeah. Well, look, Roxanne, I could talk to you for hours, literally, <laughs> and hopefully we can. Uh, maybe we should do the part two sometime. Uh, as I say, because uh, I think yeah, your your story um, has been amazing, and uh, I, I definitely want to follow you in the future. And as we said, we've got a song to make we've as well, right? We've got a song right? coming out. So, All right, yeah, so let's absolutely. do this. Well, look, thank you, Roxanne, for joining us on Love Will Beat Hate the podcast. Um, yeah, as I say, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone. And Happy New Year. Happy Everybody New Year listening. to everyone listening. 2020 has yes. got a good ring indeed, to it. Indeed, indeed. Well, that's it. That's Love Will Beat Hate, the podcast. New Year, new me. Make sure you uh, have a wonderful new year. <laughs>